Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma, and welcome into LocalJobNetwork.com radio. This is I Want to Be A, where each time we meet, we fill in that blank with a new field or profession and speak with an experienced individual who can give you the inside dish on landing a job and hopefully thriving in that particular career. For this episode, I want to be a meteorologist. Weather, of course, is all around us and can affect people in different ways, so it's always relevant. To talk about this profession, we have Keith Sider on the phone. Keith is the executive director of the American Meteorological Society and a man with plenty of insight into this area specifically. Keith, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Now, before we get into meteorology as a whole, we always like to give our listeners an idea of where our guests are coming from. Uh, if you could, just fill us in a little bit on yourself and your professional career. Sure. Uh, I actually grew up in the Midwest and uh, was uh, always enthralled with uh, the kind of weather that we got there. Thunderstorms, um, the great winters that we would have, <laughs> all of those things always fascinated me. So I, um, I pursued a career in meteorology. I went for my bachelor's degree first, and then I uh, followed up with a Ph.D. degree. Uh, and then I went into um, uh, doing research as a research scientist and also um, uh, was a professor at a university. A little while back, then I moved to AMS um, to uh, to work in the professional organization for meteorologists. Well, that's great. And you, you mentioned the uh, Midwest weather. We uh, were actually headquartered here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so we know all about uh, the, the, crazy, exactly. the crazy weather <laughs> patterns and the winters that we have here. So uh, I'm right on par with you there. I guess, first and foremost, what, what are some of the main duties or what's the main definition that you see or you think about when you hear a meteorologist? What, what, what really is the, the role there? Well, meteorologist it covers a broad range of activities, and we tend to think of the person that we see on television each right. night on the news, right. certainly, and that's certainly a, a key component of meteorology as a profession, uh, but there are lots of other components to that. There are folks who are doing all kinds of other sorts of forecasting uh, for agriculture, for the airlines, for transportation. There's lots of forecasting activities beyond just those that are being uh, disseminated to the public directly. Uh, and then there's other uh, aspects as well. The people who work in an environmental field who uh, worry about air pollution, uh, environmental impact statements for companies when they're um, uh, building large facilities, uh, all of those sorts of things are also part of what meteorology is all about. Uh, it really is a study of the atmosphere, uh, both in terms of understanding it, forecasting it, and uh, and being able to um, to deal with the impacts that, uh, that the, the atmosphere presents to us. I think that's cool to hear the different opportunities that people could have if they were interested in this area. Because as you said, it's so easy to just think of the people you see on TV, but there are a lot of other avenues people could explore if they're interested. Right. And the, uh, the TV meteorologists are probably um, uh, 5% or so of all meteorologists. Oh, wow. That low. Okay. So there's, yes, there are ma many more other <laughs> kinds of <laughs> right. activities that people can do. Right. And again, that's why we love having an expert on like yourself who can give us that inside idea because sometimes our perceptions are a little bit different than the reality. Mm -hmm. For yourself, for, what, what was it that attracted you to this industry? And was there something that sparked an interest? Was it something that, I mean, as a child, you just were fascinated? I mean, you mentioned having just that interest to begin with, but was there anything particular you could point to? Well, I, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I... The, there was actually some tornadoes uh, that came through uh, uh, near where I lived, and in fact, uh, some of my relatives were impacted by them uh, when I was quite young. Certainly, that uh, sparked my interest in some uh, ways, uh, but I think just in general, uh, I tended to, to be somebody who liked to be outside. I was always looking at the clouds, uh, always just thought that the weather was a fascinating subject to study. Okay, that sounds fair. Now, you touched a little bit on the different areas people could go into. Uh, would you be able to walk us through... 
what a typical day might be like for a couple of different um, professions. And again, I realize it's going to be completely different depending on what you're doing. Uh, but you you mentioned the research side, you mentioned maybe for airlines or transportation. And of course, we know about the TV side. Could you maybe just quick give a, a rundown of what someone might be doing on a day-to-day in some of those areas? Sure, sure. Uh, certainly, uh, a large component of meteorology is about forecasting the weather. And so, uh, in any of those jobs, whether you're forecasting for uh, you know, for the public, uh, either for radio or television, or whether you're forecasting for an airline or a trucking company, any of those kinds of activities, what you're going to be doing uh, for much of your day is looking at data, uh, looking at computer models uh, that help uh, help you make that forecast. So I think a typical day, uh, someone would come in for, for their start of their work day and review uh, the weather over the past, you know, 18 or 24 hours, to sort of bring them back up to speed from when they left the day before and uh, really get a handle on what's happening in a national sense and in a global sense, uh, just with the observations and, and uh, the current conditions, and then start looking at uh, more specific data, uh, whether it's uh, if the forecasts are for a, a very specific location, like um, you know a city that you're forecasting for mm-hmm. or a route that a ship is taking, okay. um, then you start looking more directly at the, at the observations for those locations. Uh, and then you're also looking at uh, the computer model output because uh, that's a key component to our forecast these days uh, are the computer models. The, the models are run by the National Weather Service uh, and a few other government organizations. Uh, they're run on some of the largest computers in the world. They are really complicated uh, uh, pieces of software, <laughs> right. uh, but they produce a really good forecast uh, material. And we call it forecast guidance. It, it gives you a sense of what's happening, but then there's still a large component of that that is the meteorologist you know, interpreting uh, what they get from the computer models and understanding the differences between different models uh, so that that forecast can be one that's the best possible forecast. Right. So, so that's really a, a large part of that. And again, if you're... If you're forecasting for, say, a trucking company, uh, you might worry about uh, looking, you know, where there might be icing uh, that's occurring on roads and, uh, and, and therefore go back to the company that you're forecasting for and say, you know, if there are going to be ice, uh, icing situations in, you know, in, in uh, northern Iowa, uh, perhaps you want to route those trucks either north of that or south of that so that they don't get caught in uh, situations that might be dangerous for the drivers or that might delay the shipments. Uh, those kinds of things are, are just routine things that are happening every day uh, for meteorologists in those kinds of jobs. Same thing with, with the airlines, uh, you know, routing um, the planes around storms, uh, you know, making sure that if there are going to be uh, situations in airports where it's uh, difficult to either land or take off, that, um, you know, that you can route the planes in ways that, that minimize the delays for the passengers right. uh, and, and minimize the, the sort of resulting congestion that happens uh, as a follow-up. You brought up the idea of technology, and uh, of course, people I'm sure have seen different, uh, whether it be the different graphics or the different type of analysis that you are doing with that. In your time as a professional, uh, can you put a number on how much it's changed the game in terms of percentages, you know, like just 80% more accurate, or uh, I guess how has it really helped the profession in terms of, you know, again, the forecasting side of it being so important? Where, where would you point to it being such a big help? Well, it's, it's certainly the, 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 the satellite data that we get now, some of the radar data that we get, all of those things have made a huge impact. And I think, I think a way to think about it in kind of rough terms is we've gained about a day of forecast ability okay. uh, every 10 years over the last uh, three or four decades. So mm-hmm. 
the forecast that we make today for three days from now uh, is uh, is as accurate as the forecast we made 10 years ago for two days from today. Okay. So we, we start gaining that forecast uh, capability because the new technology that's coming along allows us to uh, to really build those computer models in ways that are much more accurate because they're getting better data, they're getting better, have higher resolution in terms of, of being able to see smaller items, all of those kinds of things mm-hmm. that come along with, with having more powerful computers and better data to put into them. With that in mind, uh, realistically, what is a time frame where you, you would be you know, 90, 95% certain that you'd be accurate with what's occurring. I don't, and I don't know, it might depend on temperature or maybe it's easier to forecast something like that versus, uh, you know, any sort of storms. Can you put a number on it as far as how accurate you honestly believe someone could be with, uh, with what they're forecasting? Yeah, it's very hard to put a number on it like that. Uh, okay. it's, um, <laughs> uh, it, it depends a lot on the situation. Uh, some situations are inherently easier to forecast than others. Uh, and some types of weather are, are easier to forecast right. than others. Uh, it's very hard, for example, on a summer afternoon, uh, even if you know there are going to be thunderstorms, uh, it's very hard to know exactly when uh, and where a particular location will be hit by a thunderstorm. Okay. We're getting better and better at that, but that's an inherently difficult uh, forecast problem, even just a few hours ahead uh, of that, uh, let alone going out days. So, so you may be able to say, you know, there's a really strong likelihood of thunderstorms, you know, two or three days from now, but you can't say it's going to be, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon hitting, you know, this particular city. Right. Whereas on, on winter storms, um, uh, you know, we see those things uh, kind of developing and wrapping up and they tend to be uh, very coherent kind of structures that, that, that follow a specific pattern. And so we may be able to tell, you know, two or three or four days in advance, uh, not only you know, that, that a location is going to get a snowstorm, but have a pretty good idea when it's going to start, when it's going to stop, uh, and, and even, um, you know, kind of how much snow we might expect within some, within some range. Okay. So, so those kinds of things, even though, you know, even though they're, they're still difficult to forecast, uh, you know, at, at perhaps the accuracy that some people would like, they still, you know, can be forecast quite well. So again, it's very hard to put a number like saying, okay, well, you know, we'll be right 90% of the time or whatever, because right. uh, it's not, it's part of that. It's, it's, uh, what do you consider right? Uh, if, <laughs> you know, if I tell you, you're going six inches of snow and you get eight inches of snow, right. uh, did I, was that a right <laughs> forecast or not? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think people tend to be a little unfair with, uh, with some of that stuff when, it, especially when you, again, the, the new side of things, when people are they think they're going to plan their whole day around whatever that meteorologist says. I think it's probably a little unfair in those cases. Exactly. And I think the other thing is that, you know, the forecast will get, in general, get better and better the shorter range it is. So, right. so you know, a meteorologist can tell you what's going to happen two days from now a lot more accurately than four days from now or six days from now. Sure. And once you get past about a week, it's at best a sense of what's going to happen. You right. know, it might be, be able to say, you know, next week is going to be, you know, a rainy week, but not say too much about exactly how much or exactly when. So the forecast gets vaguer and vaguer as you go further out, but also, um, uh, you know, we, we can, you know, sometimes we can still give you some pretty good ideas of what's going to happen. Right. Would this be a profession then where in a lot of cases you're sort of always on call because of the unpredictability of weather and, and maybe something does pop up or a, a, it, the pattern changes and you would need to come in and sort of analyze that? Is that something you would express to people interested in, in a profession like this? Uh, it's probably less that than it is one where you may have to work 
uh, unusual hours, I guess. Okay. Uh, I mean, weather is obviously a 24-7 kind of thing. Uh, and so in a lot of forecasting jobs, uh, there are shifts. And so, you know, there are forecasters who are working, uh, you know, midnight to eight. Uh, and there are forecasters working normal work days, maybe eight, eight to, to five, but, um, and then others in the evenings. And so you really have to have coverage 24 hours a day. Right. And that means that, you know, if you go into this profession, uh, and especially if you're a forecaster in any kind of uh, sort of an operational setting, whether it's the National Weather Service or a, um, you know, a, a company that, that forecasts for shipping industry, those sorts of things, there are going to be people that are working overnight as well as during the normal workday and weekends and all the other kinds and holidays and all the things that go along with that. <laughs> um, a little like radio. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, it's always on. Uh, and so there's always people doing those shifts. Uh, there may be more people uh, that work during the day shift uh, and try to uh, take care of a lot of the more routine things there, but there's going to be people on 24 hours a day. So that's the bigger thing. And again, if the forecasting is, is being done well, uh, it's clear uh, when you're going to have situations that might require some additional staff. Right. Uh, so if you do have a, a big storm situation, hopefully you know that a few days in advance and you can ramp up for that. Uh, and have some extra staff available when things really start happening that you know that can require that. So it, it's it's I think less common for somebody to get a phone call you know at, at two in the morning and say oh you've got to come in work because the, the weather is breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that and it probably does happen occasionally, but if that happens, it probably means that that the forecast itself wasn't quite as good as it should have been. <laughs> yeah, we should know that was going to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good point. I I that is fair. So uh, again, that's just a good thing for our potential job seekers out there to, to know and understand uh, what they might be getting into. As you mentioned, though, it also depends on where exactly you would be working. Now, we've talked about a number of the areas that would be within the profession itself. So I did want to get into how people can look to possibly getting into meteorology. Uh, well, first of all, on the education side, what do you see in terms of, I mean, choice of schools, how much that matters? What are you looking at in terms of a degree? Uh, what sort of uh, areas can you fill us in there? Sure. I think, and to start, let me just say, uh, it's important to keep in mind that, uh, that meteorology is a, a, a technical science. It's, it's, a, it's physics-based, it's mm-hmm. math-based. So the degree programs in meteorology uh, have uh, pretty much the same math and science requirements as a degree in engineering or a degree in physics okay. or any of the other physical sciences. And so I think it's easy when you see somebody on TV to think, wow, there's not, there's not a lot of science behind that, uh, but there actually is. So, uh, so it's important for people to be comfortable uh, with the sciences and with mathematics uh, before they pursue this kind of a degree. But there are degree programs where you get a bachelor's degree directly in meteorology, uh, and there are not a lot of them around. Uh, there are probably 60 or 70 uh, at this point undergraduate programs in the country, so you know, one or two per state, uh, okay. and need to look around to find the actual degree program. That is the, sort of the most traditional path mm-hmm. for people to take. Uh, it's possible to, uh, and, and again, not, not all that unusual, for somebody to get a degree in a different science, like physics or chemistry or okay. something, uh, and then perhaps uh, you know, get some graduate uh, work, like a master's degree in meteorology before they go into a meteorological job. Uh, but these days, most people are getting degrees directly in meteorology before moving into the workforce. Sure. What about uh, internships, field work, and is that all going on while you're going through one of these programs? Is it something that's required? What's, uh, what's sort of the, the focus there? Typically, it's not required, but certainly it's a nice thing to do. Right. Uh, it, it gives you an opportunity to, uh, to get some references uh, that can be uh, useful for your job search later. 
uh, gives you some experience, uh, lets you know, especially if, you, if there are certain kinds of meteorology that you like better than others. Uh, you may go into meteorology uh, thinking that you want to become a forecaster and then go into a field project and, and decide, wow, I really want to do research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love this stuff, and I, that's really what I want to do. Or you may go and do an internship uh, with an environmental company uh, and realize that air pollution meteorology and the work around that uh, really fascinates you. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're still in meteorology, you're still doing a great uh, meteorological job, but it's different than the one you expected because uh, you just weren't realizing how much you would enjoy this other thing. So, so the internships, I think, provide a really terrific example of uh, being able to sort of try out different aspects mm-hmm. of the field before you move into it. And again, if uh, doing an internship and um, you know, getting a good reference from the person you worked with, that's a terrific way to, um, uh, to help you in your job search later. And once again, it's terrific to hear the different opportunities that there are because so many of us fall into these traps of thinking uh, an industry has a, a very narrow focus. But in, in speaking with you, hopefully our listeners understand there are a lot of different avenues to explore uh, with this area. What about any extracurricular activities or any other programs or groups that someone could get involved with to maybe get that experience or see how much they like uh, something that, that is in this field? I mean, do you have any suggestions there? You know, there are some uh, certainly some some organizations uh, nationally and uh, that that do some things, and certainly AMS is one of them as a, as a professional society uh, that serves meteorologists. Uh, you know, becoming a student uh, member of the AMS, which is really inexpensive, provides an opportunity to learn more about the field and more about what the field has to offer. A lot of uh, universities that have uh, meteorology programs have um, chapters of the AMS uh, where they do all kinds of fun things both service to the community and, and just enjoyable uh, events that, that they're all kind of centered on the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are uh, some clubs like that, even some high school clubs uh, that do weather sorts of things as extracurricular activities, uh, you know, take observations, make forecasts, you know, do science fair projects, all those sorts of things. And so all of those kinds of things are ways to kind of uh, draw the science into uh, some extracurricular things. Uh, and again, I think uh, another aspect of the field that, that some people don't realize because they know it's very science-based is that the communication component is a, is a really important one. Sure. And so any kind of activities that, uh, that make you a better writer, uh, that make you a better communicator, uh, really become important. And not just for people you know, that want to end up on TV, but just in general. I mean, all of meteorology is about taking the science and communicating that to people who need to understand how to use uh, the forecast or whatever else you're doing. So communications is just a key component. That's an excellent point to bring up. We definitely appreciate that side of things as well. Take us into the process a little bit of applying for jobs or the interview itself. Is there anything that really stands out in your mind or something the job seekers really should know before they head into this entire process? Well, I think uh, it's it's a lot like any other interview process. I think that you you know you want to go in uh, with uh, you know some confidence that you really know your subject matter. It is possible that you might be asked to, you know, to actually do something as part of the interview process. Uh, you might be given some, uh, you know, if it's a forecasting job, you might be given some weather maps uh, and asked to sort of walk through your interpretation of what's going on for okay. the weather uh, as a way to sort of, uh, you know, let the interviewer know uh, that you know what you're talking about. Uh, so I don't know if that's a super common practice, but I know it happens. Uh, and and um, and I've seen it happening uh, in situations. So so, uh, but again, if if uh, if meteorology is is uh, your passion and you 
you know, you really want to do this as your career, you're probably going to welcome that opportunity because it's probably what you would you really want to be doing. Mm-hmm. So again, it's it's more of just having that confidence and and not being thrown by the fact that that might be something that you see. Uh, again, I think having strong communication skills and being able to articulate, uh, you know, what you want to do and how you want to do it, and you know, and show that you would be uh, someone who can translate uh, the science into uh, sort of actions uh, for a client are really are, are things that an interviewer will be looking for. Okay. Uh, in terms of skills, personality type, are, are there a couple of areas that you would point to as being a set, essential if you really want to succeed in this field? I mean, you've touched on the communication aspect, of course, but anything yep, else? Yeah, but, but also, uh, you know, really strong computer skills okay. uh, is, is a must. Um, it's, it, that's such a key component of everything that we do. Uh, all the data is, is um, you know, is viewed on a computer screen, and, and it's manipulating that data. It's working with uh, different kind of programming tools uh, to do, you know, to, to do the things that need to be done to make the forecast. So, so strong computer skills certainly are, are an important part of that. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of, of personality, those sorts of things, uh, certainly uh, having a personality that, that uh, is okay with, uh, with being joked about once in a while <laughs> is a good thing. <laughs> we all have to get used to the fact that everybody makes fun of us uh, as a meteorologist. But, um, uh, but again, I think that's uh, maybe not such a big deal. But, you know, I think you will find that people in meteorology kind of share just an absolute love of the weather. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's, it, if you put handful of meteorologists in a room, they'll all start talking about the weather. Uh, and, and, that's, and, and so I think the really key issue there is that people go into this field because that's what they really, really want to do. Uh, right. and, and, um, uh, and I think if you've got that passion for the weather and you've got that passion for, for the way the atmosphere works, uh, then that's the key component because that's what's going to really drive um, uh, your career path. Fair enough. Fair enough. Another area that our listeners like to hear about, of course, is the idea of compensation and what what are they looking at? Is it? And I know it's going to depend upon where you're working, what exactly you're doing. But would you be able to give them sort of a ballpark figure what they might be looking at on the compensation side? Uh, yes, I can. I can give a ball. It's a pretty broad ballpark. Uh, I think uh, early career folks tend to make somewhere between thirty and fifty thousand a year. Okay. Uh, and that's a pretty wide range, I realize, but it depends so much <laughs> on the kind of job. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. I have to say, the, the typical forecasting jobs tend to pay less than, uh, a little less, and not a lot less, but a little less than other jobs that have the same kind of technical requirements. Okay. Uh, and so, say, if you think, well, an engineer, uh, you know, goes through very much the same kind of coursework and very much the same kind of... Um, uh, you know, career path in some ways. Uh, how does meteorologist compare to an engineer and say their first job as, a, as an opening position? Typically, the meteorologist will get a little less than an engineer would. So that, uh, and again, I think that's one of those things where people that go into meteorology uh, are typically are not going into it to get rich. Right, <laughs> they're of going course. into it because <laughs> because they love the field because that's really what they want to do, and and so the fact that the pay may be a little less than. Uh, than, than what they might have been able to do with a, uh, an equally difficult time in college uh, is, is not such a big deal for them. Uh, again, the, the you know, pay goes up, obviously, as you get more experience. And if you do go for an advanced degree, either a master's degree or a PhD, then obviously the, even the starting salaries are much higher uh, and you've got a lot more uh, earning potential uh, over time. But again, they're, you know, they're, they're comparable, I think, to other technical fields, but probably a little bit lower than, than the average uh, among technical fields. 
All right. I mean, again, it's as you said, it's going to vary a lot on, on what exactly you're doing, where you're working, but we uh, we just like to give our listeners a little bit of an idea. So we appreciate you filling us in somewhat there. Uh, we're pretty much out of time. I just want to give you the opportunity here, Keith, to uh, give our listeners a last takeaway from our conversation. Anything you would want them to know or think they should be informed about if they have an interest in meteorology? Well, again, I think I think the real takeaway is it is a terrific profession. It, it's uh, it, it's not for everyone uh, because it's a, it's a difficult career path in some ways, but it is uh, just an, an awesome one in terms of uh, being in a position where you really can help people every day uh, and and as I say, literally save lives. Uh, and so, uh, to um, you know, to, to have an opportunity uh, to do something you love and and have it impact people so positively, I think just makes it. Um, uh, a profession that um, you know that is not quite like many others. With that, we will wrap up this installment of I Want to Be A in our look at meteorologists today. We've been speaking with Keith Sider, the executive director of the American Meteorological Society, as he's given us the details behind this rather interesting field, really. Keith, thanks for sharing your knowledge and experience with all of us today. Well, my pleasure, and, and uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Uh, Definitely was enjoyable. And if you do have any comments or questions after listening to our podcast, go ahead and send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Let us know if there are any other jobs you're interested in hearing about. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. Take care.